Hello, and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and I'm also an editor at Light Reading. I'm Gabriel Sidholm. I'm the CEO of Orange Silicon Valley. Gabriel Sidholm, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Orange Silicon Valley is the, I would say, the offsite think tank of Orange, the uh, telco, right? Is that is that a good way to put it, or is it sort of a re- research and development ish? Yeah, it's an innovation center. I mean, we've we've been in the valley for twenty years, and initially we were a, a lab, an R and D center. We developed a lot of applications, especially done during the Web two point era. But like all companies, we've made the the journey to being much more focused on external innovation. And so today, we're we, we refer to itself as an innovation center, which one of our missions is really to connect the ecosystems in the U.S. to our company and our customers. And as you know, Orange operates worldwide for the, for enterprises, but it's most of its, you know, it operates networks mostly in Europe and in the Middle East and Africa. Yeah, we've had the privilege of uh, talking to the folks both at Orange and at Orange Business and uh, all over the globe uh, for businesses and consumers alike. And uh, the Innovation Center idea is a, is a very interesting one and very, and very uh, appropriate for Silicon Valley. And in fact, one of the first things I wanted to pick your brain about <laughs> is, uh, you know, one of the biggest trends happening right now in telco is telcos moving big pieces of their network and big functions in their network to the cloud. And um, you're at a really interesting intersection because you work for indirectly for a, uh, an incumbent carrier, but your job and, and your the function at the Innovation Center is to interact with Silicon Valley and a lot of the apps and tools that have been living in the cloud and, and making use of the cloud for a long time. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on on the telco move to the cloud and where you see that going as like a, as an evolution for those those businesses this process started over 10 years ago with software defined networks this is, was one of the early attempts to at least apply software principles to network functions. And what we're seeing today is really a convolution of five key trends that are making this possible and, in fact, accelerating it. One is, of course, the completion of the 5G standard and the fact that it's uh, software-based. The second one has been the virtualization of the telco structure, a telco infrastructure from the core to the RAN. Third has been this, you know, unstoppable migration to public clouds and the elastic storage and compute they provide. Fourth has been uh, what I would refer to as a banalization of AI and machine learning. It's being manifested in both in processes, both large and small. And finally, it's just the uh, development of edge computing or application delivery networks where the data and the compute is being much more, is closer to where it's needed. And latency becomes a dominant feature for the performance of these applications. So all of those things kind of combine to move the telco infrastructure to the cloud and and make it, I guess, make it at this point a necessity. Do you think 5G was kind of the the last lever that pushed things along there? I would say yes, because it is naturally a software based. So it makes treating network functions as, as, as you would an IT function much easier to do. You know, lowers the cost of deployment. It uh, makes more effective use of, of resources. 
For example, you can much easily, you know, move around the computing capacity among, uh, you know, let's say you have a controller of, let's say, 100 base stations. You can more easily move things around, which has been very important during the pandemic as you know, it used to be everybody was in the center of the cities at the offices, so all the usage was there. And then at night, it would shift to the homes. Well, what happened with the pandemic, it just made that much flatter. Historically, that would have been a real challenge because you couldn't move things around that quickly because there's a lot of hardware. But now, if you can control all those base stations together, it, it's made it much easier to shift the capacity where it's needed without necessarily having to invest a lot more CapEx and OPEX. What do you think about service providers sort of giving over some of their infrastructure to cloud providers? It, it seems like that uh, competition between the two, uh, the web scalers and the um, service providers is, is changing a little bit, especially with the recent news with AT&T and, and I think it was Microsoft. It seems kind of like AT&T was handing over the keys to the kingdom <laughs> for their 5G. <laughs> so w- what are your thoughts on that, on, on um, service providers kind of opening up their infrastructure to those cloud players? It's a mutual advantage because a much smarter person than I um, said at at one of our events that non-software companies need to become software companies before software companies become them. Whether you're a telecom, whether you're in medicine, whatever field you are, we see the the cloud native uh, players or the digital native players getting into a lot of areas much quickly. So I think in the case of the telco, there is a strong synergy because a lot of the cloud players have what the telcos need, but the telcos have what also what the cloud players need. It's all about getting as close to the customer as possible. I think there's cost advantages for both. So I think in the short term to medium term, it makes sense to do that, whether you're talking about the IT cloud, which is one thing, you know, we talk a lot about the telco cloud, but all Telcos are also putting their many of their IT functions into the cloud. Of course, we talked about the telco cloud. There's the cloud enterprises. How do you serve companies who are more and more moving their their IT to the cloud? And then there's the edge computing. So it's a good question, but I think it's happening because it's mutually beneficial. It's not a unknown that. Uh, a lot of infrastructure is, is becoming commoditized so that everybody is trying to move towards the services and applications. In the application realm, we're in Silicon Valley, both studies and experiments with lots of applications. Is there anything in the, in the realm of low latency applications or 5G applications that uh, you've been particularly interested in or focusing on uh, of late? For, for enterprises, it, it won't be a surprise. It's about private mobile networks being able to and using the slicing functions that the, the 5G standard allows empowers us to use for, you know, to bring a, a specific kind of quality to support specific applications for enterprises. So whether it's a store or a, or a campus or it's for a fleet of, uh, you know, self-driving cars or, or, you know, semi-self-driving cars, that's one of the things. Now, in the case of consumers, one thing that, of course, 5G allows us is to deliver a better quality of service as 
usage increases and data usage has just been increasing for, for a long time. But the second thing is in immersive services, whether it's uh, watching a concert or playing a game or going to a virtual world and, and moving around that. And, you know, the fact that we'll be able to do massive IoT, uh, whether it's through a private mobile network or not. And then on consumers, it's it's mostly in the entertainment area, uh, XR, uh, you know, AR, VR. Medicine is an interesting uh, upcoming application, I think. And, you know, we did a lot of uh, remote medicine during the pandemic. And I think that's going to stay because it's much more efficient in reducing costs of healthcare. But I think, you know, the important thing about 5G is that, uh, you know, if we let 5G be 5G and get down to the lowest latencies possible, which, you know, is close to maybe five milliseconds round trips, you know, there's a qualitative change in what can be done. We can, there are going to be applications we even haven't thought of. Today, most of the, most of innovation is in addressing the, the senses of sight and hearing. Right. But as you get to, you know, really low latency, touch becomes a, a sense that you can manage and smells, you know, that that's what that's another one that could be addressed. But I think there's going to be a qualitative change that goes way beyond the quantitative change in, in latency reduction. Yeah, that'll be interesting when when applications or you know start to incorporate things like tactile uh, feedback and stuff like that. I think that'll be really really intriguing. And who knows what the various um, applications could be for that? I mean, I'm I'm quite impressed with what I've seen on the AR VR side with um, people doing repairs and schematics. You know, for whether it's building stuff or fixing stuff, it's pretty amazing that they can do this unassisted. <laughs> you know and have detailed blueprints just sort of thrown up in front of them without interrupting the work. That's pretty amazing. And so I can only imagine that adding a tactile feedback, you know, to some jobs and some uh, functions might might really change, you know, the nature of how people, how quickly people learn how to do a job and then how effective they are at it. And it's especially exciting in healthcare. The doctor is, isn't just looking at you. They're able to, you know, touch you and maybe feel your pulse, and things like that. Uh, a lot of interesting things. Of course, this is, we're still, you know, years away. That's, I think, going to be some of the interesting developments. And, you know, there's even, when you look at XR or AR, VR, you also have uh, one thing we're seeing in enterprises is safety applications, being able to make sure that people in a, in a mine are wearing the right equipment. We use it in our office for training new employees in fire drills. So they're actually, we, we've set up a VR environment. And, and so training, of course, is another big application for VR. That's really interesting because, you know, you always see those maps and buildings for like where the exits are for fire drill, but you never really pay attention to it. I mean, I don't really. And then if there was a fire, like you don't want everyone to just panic. And Kelsey's the kind of person that as soon as the flight attendant starts talking about the, the warning, she just pops the headphones on, just doesn't, just tunes them right out. Doesn't That'll even. Be <laughs> Whatever, lady. I don't know lady. what to do in a water landing. Okay. <laughs> In the VR uh, fire safety education, do you actually, do you make them see the office on fire? Yeah, because you want to make sure people will find, you know, there's right, usually the alternate right exits. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I see. I want, I want that just for walking around Informa's headquarters. I just want to like say, I just want to say, like, what would this look like on fire? You know, and then put my glasses <laughs> on. That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> kind yeah. of like kind of play the role of a dungeon master, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, say like, oh, what if I left the microwave on too long? Let's see what would happen. Yeah. All right. Well, so there's probably there's probably no applications that they'll let me have, but that's interesting because yeah, you're right. Safety and and health and safety generally are massive markets for this stuff. I, I guess that's where we're all kind of getting stuck right now is, you know, 5G sort of rolling out to consumers. We're getting it on our phone, but nothing's really happening that much, except you can download music much more quickly. I'm very happy about that. Um, but the the other, the kind of missing thing, you know, is that is that application that we didn't know we needed. <laughs> so since you're the COO, how much, how much pressure is there to kind of constantly be, um, you know, doing use cases and prototyping for the parent company or for your partners worldwide? You know, do, I, I know, you know, they must be looking to you guys to kind of take the lead on telling them what areas to invest in. Do you find that that activity has ramped up at all, or is it kind of been kind of a, at a steady, uh, a steady pace since 5G has been kind of rolling out for quite a while? I think one thing we've seen is our, our role, our sourcing role, that is identifying innovative companies, startups in the U.S. who can work with, with us, with our business units, with our clients, and help them speed up the development of their, you know, their, their prototypes and, and, and proofs of concepts. When you think of an innovation center, it basically has three functions. One is to do the, the scouting, which is, you know, every day looking what's happening in, in, in their field of expertise. The second thing is, of course, doing uh, proofs of concepts and doing, you know, testing of, of solutions, especially new solutions. And then the third one, one thing that's been coming up is, is the sourcing. And, you know, that's been going on for a long time in the Valley. But now it's it's much more about actually finding someone and, and getting the work going. So I would say that, uh, yeah, there's been a lot more pressure to identify uh, companies with interesting applications or interesting ways to do things we used to do physically that we can now do in uh, in software. Do we need to be looking out for like Orange Silicon Valley Shark Tank? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's an idea. Somebody, somebody's yeah. going to take that idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're welcome. Well, to you know, it's there's always <laughs> been the sort of the pitch, you know, uh, contests, right? Where you have six uh, come in. But I think one thing you're seeing a lot more are are you know uh, solution contests. You know, here's a problem, and then you open it up, and people come and try to solve it. I think you're going to see a lot more of, of this. I think what's happening, it's really kind of shortening that whole cycle between a beta of a startup to starting to commercialize it. And that's been because people have accepted of this kind of this constant improvement of an offer rather than having something that's been perfected and it's off the shelf. I think, you know, at least in the case of doing proofs of concepts or uh, prototypes or early prototypes said, hey, maybe we don't have the whole thing working the way we want it, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a process. It's, the journey is much more important than the destination. I definitely agree with your point about the iterative kind of nature of uh, businesses. And I think that's kind of been driven by the consumer marketplace as well, where people, they want 
you know, nice finished stuff. But I mean, the last few tech gadgets that I've bought have had like massive firmware updates, you know, within six months of me buying them. They're like, oh, here, we fixed this. Oh, yeah, we fixed this too. Oh, yeah, this was broke. Here, we fixed this. And I just roll with it now. You know, it's, it used to be somewhat jarring. Now it's just something that happens, whether it's a camera or headphones or whatever. They uh, That sort of thing just happens now. And I think that's part of the uh, getting better faster. <laughs> and it's been, it's transformed, it's transformed automotive, where yeah. adding a new feature used to take five years. Now you can do it in two, you know, a download of 10 minutes and all of a sudden your car has new functionalities. Are you a driver of one of those software updatable type cars? Not yet. Yeah, yeah, no, me neither, but I'm 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 looking very I'm, I'm very interested in in keeping tabs on them. <laughs> well, that and, and battery technology and bat because one thing it's done with electric cars, it's really sped up the development of battery technology. And it's gone beyond the car to the home now. And, you know, in California, that's very important to have some backup, uh, you know, power and given all the blackouts, right? That's uh, it's amazing what's happening with batteries. We talked a little bit earlier about um, some healthcare applications. Are there any other verticals that you're really excited about um, in terms of uh, 5G applications? I mean, one other thing we've talked about in past episodes of the podcast is manufacturing and also how those safety features kind of overlay into manufacturing. So um, anything else that you're excited about that's that's coming down the line or any industries we should be watching? That definitely industry, you know, industry 4.0, future of work. These are two areas we're very excited about. You know, we've, uh, we've seen uh, with, again, the pandemic, uh, I know everybody talks about it, but it's really showed us different ways of working. And now what, what we need is to bring to bear the tools to help that kind of hybrid work environment. You know, a lot of the tools have been lagging. Like, for example, how do you manage people that are, you know, you, you see across a, a screen rather than in the office, you know? So much like, for example, so much of management theory is about watching people work. We need to really speed up output management, you know, manage people by what they, what they deliver. But that's not easy because that means you need to really be able to know what you want. So I, I think, though, the really kind of in, interesting areas that are coming up, one is digital twins. The ability to copy a physical process in digital is not new. You know, what's interesting is how now the physical version of the physical twin can start looking like the digital twin because it's there's a lot of feedback now. I think that's interesting. I think the other interesting area is cloud robotics. So today, you know, robots are very specific. They're very expensive, but they do one thing. But you can imagine that uh, having, uh, I don't know, you could have, think of like like with servers, that you can have this kind of, you know, common pieces of robots that you can put together and then manage them by being able to download from the cloud the, the AI that will make them work and how the cloud can is able to optimize these types of functions because it's watching the behavior. Let's say, let's take, take a robot that's doing, uh, let's say, medical care in a home, taking care of someone. 
cloud would allow uh, it those models to improve uh, very quickly because they, they can tap into all the robots doing that throughout the you know the world or throughout a country so i think cloud robotics there's you could separate the software from the components from the platforms and and so on today these things are all you know it's sort of like you used to buy telecom equipment you bought the whole thing from one vendor but what's happened is we've disaggregated all of that in telecom. And I think what we're going to see next is this disaggregation of robotics. That'll be really interesting to see. I, I have a simple need from the robot, which is just to grab the bag of chips out of my hand. And, <laughs> like, hand me an apple. Be like, make better say, choices. Uh, I don't know about <laughs> reprogramming a, a multifunction robot you know, a single purpose is sort of single uh, instance of a multifunction robot. I, I can't even understand my vacuum cleaner attachments at this point. So I'm, 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 I'm going to be one of the last people to adopt that. But I get, I get your point about the, the ability for what's going on in networks to sort of make their way into intelligent devices and intelligent functional devices too. That could be really compelling. Let's pause it there and we'll we'll talk sometime in the future. And hopefully, hopefully now that people are vaccinated and moving about the earth a little bit more freely, uh, we will uh, see you at uh, either in Silicon Valley or at an upcoming event. Uh, Gabriel Sidon, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you.